0: I have to say that I didn't really think I was going to get a lot out of the, the journey. And during the journey, God was really speaking to me and just saying, hey, Molly, I think that you are A lot more concerned with uh, materialistic things uh, than you think you are. And so um, I remember coming out of my consume group every night and looking at my car and just feeling this really weird um, sensation like, okay, God, what are you trying to tell me with that? During consumed, um, I heard that we were going to be doing a Class Financial Peace University and I had been listening to Dave Ramsey um, here locally on on a radio station and I was all fired up and within the first three weeks I sold my car Um, I bought an eight-year-old car with cash and so now I don't have a car payment and also I eliminated about $42,000 of debt and so I wanted to cash out all of my savings and all of my socks, any kind of investments that I had, I wanted to invest in getting out of debt. If we wanted to, we could go up and cut up our credit cards. And I was out of my chair faster than anybody else, and I was the first one up there, and I only had two credit cards, and I whipped out those visas, and I hacked them up, and it was the intensity of that moment for me was second to me getting baptized in 2004. It was that kind of freedom for me. I think that I was really concerned with um, the car I drove and, and how did people perceive me more so than I really thought that I was going to be affected by that. And um, I was sitting next to a friend of mine from Mama Lodi when they were in town a couple weeks ago, And before Consumed, I had bought a beautiful um, sapphire and diamond ring for myself. I'd never had any nice piece of jewelry, and so about a month before Consumed, I said, you know what, I, I deserve this. And so I went out and I bought it, and I loved it, and it made me feel great, and it was so beautiful. And so sitting next to my friend from Mama Lodi, she leaned over and said, oh my gosh, your ring is so beautiful. And after she said that, God told me, you need to give her the ring. So we finished up our meeting, and I was like, okay, God, I'm sure that's not what you said. <laughs> so I walked over to her, and I said, hey, I just want to tell you a little bit more about our consume journey and what I've been learning, and, um, and I bought this ring before the consume journey and it made me really happy and what I've learned during the consumed journey and afterwards is I don't want to look towards things to make me happy, I want to look towards God to make me happy and so he told me to give this ring to you and I want you to have it so she took it and we cried and and we had a great moment and um, and she said she's getting married um, in a couple weeks and um, that she was going to use it for her wedding ring and there was just freedom in that just saying you know what things like rings things like cars, job titles, things like that, those don't define me.
1: Yes. Man, that was a fast 90 days, wasn't it? For those of you who were here for the Consume Journey, 90 days ago, we made commitments, we made decisions not to be consumed by stuff, but to be consumed by God, and for many of us, we made choices like Molly, choices around getting out of debt, or choices around being more generous with our time or with our resources, and we're just celebrating in the moment today, 90 days later, what God has done in the midst of our community, getting focused around this one idea, this one vision around what would it look like to be consumed by God as opposed to being consumed by things, and we're just celebrating that today, so... We're going to take a look at a couple of other stories here in a moment, but I just want to say, you know, when you listen to Molly's story, I know the, the big thing that jumps out is, wow, did she say $42,000? Like, did she really get out of that much debt? I know that jumps out, and that is an amazing thing, and you could say, well, that's an extreme example, but I want to say that I think Molly's story is reflective of so many stories in this community coming out of Consumed, because we all made choices. The thing I love about Molly's story is she said that she was hearing some things from God, And maybe those were promptings. Maybe those were things that were happening in the midst of her prayer time. Maybe those were things that were happening as she was in community. We were all in small groups, and she was being prompted around where materialism was in her life. But she heard some things from God, and Molly followed through. And to the extent that she followed through, she found freedom. She found freedom from materialism. And I think that's the story of our community in the midst of Consume. We received truth, and we acted on that truth. And there is freedom in this place that didn't exist 90 days ago, and we're celebrating that. So I'm going to invite our First Impressions folks to come on down. We're going to take up an offering while we take a look at two more stories. And I want to say that if this is your first time here, we are about your freedom. We are not about your money. And so when this comes, you can just let that pass you right on by, but we believe that we're called to be a generous community. Generous so that people can find freedom right here at Crossroads, but also generous so people in South Africa can have homes and gardens and people who are in slavery can be freed from that as we help other organizations around the world. And that's why we give and that's why we're generous. And that's why Consume was such a powerful experience because on the other side of our freedom, we're able to go out and be freedom fighters for other people. So let's take a look at these two stories together.
2: been looking at houses for the better part of a year. You know, we've kind of always prided ourselves on being very um, physically conservative, mm-hmm. uh, you know, kind of living below our means.
3: Casey and I were a little frustrated with the whole thing, and we just kept kind of looking and, and looking, and all of a sudden this house popped up that was not in our range at all. Not even close. It was above our range. So we happened to go through this house right at the beginning of the consume journey, and we start talking mm-hmm. to our group about it, And, you know, it was obvious to both of us that this house was too expensive for us. But we were going, we were in so many ways justifying, you know, why it could be right. the first day our consumed group met together, we went to, um, we all went to meet for dinner for our first meeting and we had just looked at this house. And on the way in, Casey and I were laughing because I said to him, I'm like, look, I know we're going into, a, into this group and this is about consumed, I'm like, but I want that house. It was just doing messed up things to us. You know, we, we talked to our consumed group about it and realized that it was causing us to get in fights about yeah, our finances.
2: Was. I was becoming kind of resentful in the whole situation because I felt like she was making me like I wasn't providing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it's enough not, for our family.
3: Yeah, and, and when he said that, that's when I kind of realized, well, I need to, I really need to back off of this. This is not, this is not okay. We kind of wanted to see what would happen if we put an offer out there, but um, we have this community now to be responsible to. We ended up putting this verbal offer out there. And of course it was totally blown off, you know, no way. And it was, it was this great moment because Casey said to me, what feeling do you feel right now? And we both I'm like, cause
2: I'm like, I have one emotion right now. What is yours?
3: We both got and it. And I was and like, like, relief. Yeah. When we were talking about like, financial freedom, that's what I felt. I was like, this is the feeling of financial freedom of this, this relief that we have, and this is the feeling we need when we do buy a house.
2: That was a great day for me, yeah. honestly, when, when our offer got rejected.
3: <laughs> so we have <laughs> one of those kind of, I guess, almost too good to be true stories, though. And all of a sudden one day he said to me, well, what do you think about this one house? And we all walked in the front door. I mean, we walked in the door and we all went, "Oh my gosh!" You know, because it wasn't what we expected, yeah. and the house was perfect for us. So we ended up putting in an offer.
2: Yeah, we still kind of lowballed, and they came down a lot, and we ended up
3: saying, "Okay." I
2: mean, it was that easy, and I, as opposed to the last situation. Uh, I feel
3: good about the fact that I know we can afford our house. We can afford our house. We can continue to tithe. We can continue to do, you know, um, things that give us financial freedom.
2: I don't know if we were, if we weren't going through the consume journey and weren't meeting with our group. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how things would have worked out. But there is no doubt in my mind. There's no way it could have worked out better.
4: I started here. Crossroads. It was one of the Consume Series services and then just a few days after that I came to the Consumed Prayer Experience. Um, and I remember as I went through the prayer experience, I it, it was in awe. It was it was just awesome. Um, one of the most wonderful things I've experienced before and uh, I just felt God right when I walked in. There was a point at which um, there were p- you took a piece of paper and you wrote down the things, different things that consumed you or that you know that you gave too much time to in your life. And I remember writing down my, my workouts, um, my meals, bodybuilding, all these things. You know, from from a young age, I was insecure. I was real introverted, and, and I, I started lifting. And, and unknowingly, I tried to build up this you know strong, big exterior because um, I didn't really have a whole lot on the inside, and I was pretty weak there. It seems that as time goes by, um, no matter where I'm at, that's what people are recognizing me for. Um, they noticed, that you know, Jace. They asked me, you know, what's the last show you did, or why wow, you're looking big today, or you know how much you lifting now. And I found my identity in that. And I didn't really realize it until I was in the prayer experience. I asked God, I said, if you have a problem with this, we convict me of it? And I really didn't want him to, but I knew that it was right. And, and, and I asked him to if he had a problem with it. Well, just a few months later, um, I was blessed with the opportunity to be baptized here at Crossroads. And I was baptized in that Saturday service. And the Thursday morning prior to that, in that week, I got really sick. I went home from work, and I lost about 15 pounds by the time Saturday came. Um, it was a miracle, I felt completely better um, about an hour before the baptism service and I was able to come and I got home and I was sick all over again. So I woke up on Sunday morning and I go in front of the mirror to brush my teeth and I look at myself and I bust out in tears crying. Um, I, I didn't know what it was at first, I, I just saw how small that I looked. I got in the shower, I cried and I cried and I cried. and. I asked God um, to to, to take it from me. I was was finally convicted of it. And I told him that that, that I realized that my whole identity was in this and I was spending all this time in the gym and all this time on my body and all this time trying to be the strong person on the outside. And I I, I was honest with him and I told him that I don't know how to stop doing this. And I can't even put an effort forth to stop doing it. You have to take it from me if you want to take it because I don't know how not to be like this. This is like where I find my identity at. I feel like I'm nothing without it. and he did that. I also had prayed at the same time that he would help me get more connected across crossroads, roads and that, you know, because I was coming for Saturday service, but I was having a hard time finding anything else. Maybe four weeks later, I found myself here like six out of seven days out of the week for different things going on at night. All of a sudden, I was missing my workouts. And what was really weird, and it doesn't sound like a big, a big deal, but it, it was a huge deal. Um, I was off on my meals a little bit. I was missing my workouts. I think I worked out maybe twice that week. And I felt okay about it. God is like taking, broken this bondage. Um, I found my identity before in what I did, and now I've come to find my identity in Christ and what He did and what He continues to do for me every day. So um, that's what I got out of the Consumed Prayer series. And it was life-changing, and, and my life's much better now because of it.
1: You're looking at a free man, you're looking at a free man. Why, why during journeys like this, why during something like Consumed does it seem like all this amazing life transformation happens? It's because the church is one. It's because we as the church came together to be one. The, the thing about Consumed is it wasn't just a crossroads thing. There were 44 churches, 22,000 people in the city alone and actually there were churches as far away as Michigan that were all on this journey of Consumed together. And not only that, but before the journey started, many of you remember this, we took Polaroids, Polaroid pictures, and we sent them over to our partner church in South Africa. And while we were going through this journey, there were people on the other side of the world praying for us, praying for us. This is an example of what happens when the church is one. When the church is one, Jesus shows up. We see a clearer picture of Jesus when the church is one. And that's why in this series, we wanna talk about what it means to become one. And so we're kicking off this series today, and we're going to be inviting in some of the teachers that have influenced folks around here, because we want to get a sense of what is God doing in other little C churches that are making the big church come together. You know, one of the things we're going to talk about happens next next week when we'll listen to a guy who actually started something called One Prayer, and that's been one of the influences for this series. One Prayer is another time when actually 1,500 plus churches are coming together across the world to pray about the same things and to teach and talk about the same things. This idea of oneness is is just something that runs all throughout the Bible and that's what we're exploring in the midst of this series. So I wanna just pray that God would meet us in this series and teach us. Let's pray. God, I'm asking that. I'm asking um, that we get a picture of oneness like Jesus prayed for. And not only do we get a picture, but we also get marching orders to recognize the role you want us to play in unifying the body of Christ. And that's what we ask all through the series. That's my prayer personally and I pray that that would be the prayer for this community in Jesus name. Amen. Andrea asked you guys about 4th of July. Folks had a good 4th of July celebration on Friday? Yeah? Always love that holiday fireworks. I had some Montgomery and spare ribs. That's always a good good 4th of July when you get some ribs in there. It was a great time. And, you know, 4th of July has taken on a different view for me in recent years because of a book that I read not too long ago. A couple years ago, I read a book by David McCullough called John Adams. And it was a biography of the founding father, John Adams. And it really changed how I thought about this experiment called America because one of the things that comes out in the book is you recognize just how different those founding fathers were from each other. They had very different views, very different philosophies on a lot of different things, but they were able to transcend their differences and come together around this one idea of liberty and freedom and start this country. And I was amazed by that. One of the things that John Adams is quoted as saying really kind of speaks to why unity is so important. This is a quote from John Adams. He says, the revolution was effected before the war commenced. The revolution was in the minds and hearts of the people this radical change in the principles, opinions, sentiments, and affections of the people was the real American Revolution. And what he's saying here is that before a shot was even fired, there was a oneness of mind that could have no other implication but to lead to a revolution. Because unity always precedes revolution. Unity always precedes revolution revolution. It's one of the reasons why Jesus prayed the prayer that he did. See, what John Adams is referencing is really a spiritual principle. It's a spiritual principle that we see Jesus reflecting in the prayer that he prayed for the church. I want to take just a sentence from that prayer. Jesus prayed this in, the cha- in John chapter 17. John is one of the biographies of Jesus' life, and Jesus prays these words for us. He says, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I wanna keep that up for a second, and I wanna give you some perspective on where Jesus was when when he prayed this. This was Jesus's dying prayer. This is later in the book of John, and Jesus is about to experience an excruciating death on the cross. And he's having a conversation with his Father. He's having a conversation with God the Father, and he's engaging him around the things that are most important on his heart as he prepares to give his life as a sacrifice for all of us. And Jesus spends some time praying for himself and praying about his relationship with God. And then he spends some time praying for the 12 that were closest to him, called his disciples. And then Jesus prays for you and I. He prays for people who would come to know him in the years to come. And it's always struck me that of all the things that would be his dying prayer, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Why would he focus on oneness? Why didn't he say, I pray that they would be brave? Why didn't he say, I pray that they would be creative? Why didn't he say, I pray that they would be relevant? He prayed that we would be one because Jesus was reflecting a spiritual principle and that is that unity always precedes revolution. You see, Jesus didn't come to start an institution. He didn't come to start a social club. He came to start a revolution. And the revolution was in the hearts and minds of the people who follow him. And so what Jesus knew is that if anybody is ever gonna recognize who I am, they're gonna recognize that when people who identify with me are united, when they're united in love, because Jesus' mission was all about love. You see, before Jesus came, it was just understood throughout mankind that we had to try to work our way to God. And so there were systems of sacrifices made up, and other, other cultures had different experiences with God, but it was all man's attempt to work our way to God. And that's what's so revolutionary about Jesus. When Jesus came, Jesus came and said, hey, it's not about you working your way back to God. You are separate from God. He he recognized the fact that because sin entered the world when we chose against God, there was a broken relationship. But Jesus said, I've come to restore you to God, and all you have to simply do is receive the gift of that restoration. You don't have to work your way to God. That was a revolutionary idea, a revolutionary picture of love, and that's what Jesus came for. And so the people who followed after him, who Jesus called the church, were to reflect that revolutionary experience of love. And Jesus is praying that they do that, By becoming one because he knew that would be the most powerful testament to who he was and that God had in fact come to restore man to oneness with him but unfortunately today the church is not known for its unity when you think about Christianity that word or when you think about what it means to be a Christian unfortunately most of us think about that word and we think about division I know I often think about division because the church is fragmented today people who collectively make up the church have fragmented ourselves we fragment ourselves in a lot of different ways we fragment ourselves politically people who say that they are Christ followers fall all along the political spectrum and I'm not here to say that the right is correct or that the left is correct but unfortunately we, instead of defining ourselves by what we have in common when we talk politics we di- we divide we divide we fragment ourselves we're fragmented by denominations or by the lack of denominations. So what you know, and I, I understand I have friends who don't don't dig church, don't like church, and when I talk to them, one of the questions they always come to me with, and it's a good question, is well, what makes your church different than that church? Why are there like 50 different churches all over and they all have different perspectives? We have fragmented ourselves denominationally or by the lack of a denomination. We fragment ourselves by tradition. We fragment ourselves by what we think is the right way to experience Jesus in an hour on a Sunday morning. And there's all kinds of fragmentation that's happened because of that. The church, unfortunately, is not known for its unity today. It's known for its division. And I wanna tell you that there are some reasons for that. The reasons for that, primarily, is because the church has a common enemy. Satan is a common enemy of anybody who identifies themselves with Jesus. And one of the things that Jesus said about Satan is that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Satan's strategy to destroy the church is division. So he causes us to fragment, he causes us to be differing on all these different things and miss the central point, which is Jesus, the person of Jesus, who he is and what he means to us. The other reason I think that we are so fragmented is because it's very easy to fall into what I will call the insider-outsider mindset. This insider-outsider mindset, I think it's probably core to who we are as people, I think we all naturally do this, but it really shows up in the church. And I want to talk about that insider-outsider mindset. And I don't want to talk about their insider-outsider mindset, people out there. I don't even want to talk about yours at this point. I want to talk about mine. I'm going to talk about the insider-outsider mentality in me. Because when I think about my history growing up from a church experience standpoint, I can see where this insider-outsider mindset has kept me from unity in the church. So I'm going to just tell you a little bit about that. I started out growing up in a church that was called Shekinah. Revival Temple, Shekinah Revival Temple. A Little bit different than Crossroads, right? Just a little bit, and my experience growing up was probably what you would call charismatic. So like every week was revival at my church, I don't know about you, but every week was revived. Every week, there were some charismatic things that happened. So we would sing a lot of songs, and it was not uncommon for people to literally jump up out of their seat and begin running up and down the aisle, screaming, because they're just so excited about what God is doing in their life. I know that would freak you out if that happened now, but that was normal in my church context. The other thing that was very normal in my church context was what we call speaking in tongues. The Bible talks about the experience at Pentecost and people speaking in tongues, and this is not a theological discussion about whether you need to speak in tongues or don't. I personally don't think you need to, but certainly I recognize that that is a real and active gift in aspects of the church. But in my church, it was a common experience for people to speak in tongues. They would utter things and there were people who could even understand what they were uttering even though they hadn't learned a language. I've seen that. So, So what happens when you're in that kind of environment is it becomes your insider perspective on what it means to experience Jesus. And I would judge people who were outside that experience. So, you know, if this was 10 years ago in my life and I were to come to a crossroads experience, man, I would just look at you guys and look at how you sit when you sing and you don't move and you're not shouting, and I would say, there's no way you know Jesus. (laughs) You just don't, you just don't. You mean to tell me you're not up with your hands up, nobody's shouting, you guys don't know Jesus. Because I had this insider-outsider mentality. But what happened was, time goes on and we have different experiences, I went away to college And in college, I went to Macedonia Baptist Church. And it was in the Hill District of Pittsburgh, which is the equivalent of Over the Rhine in Cincinnati. And you can't get more black or more Baptist than Macedonia Baptist Church. I mean, that was, that's what the experience was. That's what the experience was. Very different than my charismatic experience. And so I actually went into Macedonia as an outsider. I went into Macedonia, and I said the same thing that I would say at Crossroads. Man, these people don't move. They don't. What's up with that? It's like they're dead. What's going on with this church? Because my insider experience had told me that if you don't have this certain set of experiences in this hour on Sunday, you don't know Jesus, or you don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. Insider, outsider mindset. But over time, got into Macedonia, got connected with people, and that's always a key. When you get relationally connected, it's very hard to continue to be an insider, outsider. When I got relationally connected at Macedonia, I began to understand that They agree on the central principle, which is who Jesus is and what he means to us. Now I begin to experience their type of of church context. And one of the things that started to emerge was, man, this church is really well organized. It's really well run. They've got clear leadership, and there's a clear mission and a clear vision. And we all know that God loves you more if you have a clear mission. (laughs) I'm sorry, Nod. I'm a Covey addict, I'm a Stephen Covey addict, so you know, I get excited about mission statements. But anyway, you know, but I had this insider mentality. I began to become an insider at Macedonia, and I begin to judge other churches by their lack of mission, their lack of vision. You know, If they weren't going to the latest John Maxwell Leadership Conference, I really questioned their faith. I really questioned whether they know God or not. John Maxwell's like this leadership guru for people who don't know, but you know, I, I wanted to be John Maxwell in another life. But anyway, you know, I had this insider-outsider mentality, and I had become an insider at Macedonia. And you know what's interesting? I started to look back at Shekinah, Revival Temple, and they were outsiders to me now. Because I would look at them and say, see, that's why our church wasn't any larger than what it was, because we didn't have a clear mission. Or or that's why this wasn't working well in our church, because leadership hadn't gotten it together. And I would begin to judge them as this, now I'm an insider at Macedonia. The time moved on, I graduated, and after a while, I moved to Cincinnati, Ohio. And I was looking for a church in Cincinnati, and I saw this internet ad, and I said, I'll check this place out. And I show up for this church, only to realize that the church wasn't a church, it was a school. And I see all these people in jeans, and I see people drinking coffee, and later on, I understand the coffee is free. And then I walk in, and it's really dark, and they have this loud band. I mean, like, the band is really loud. You know, which was very different for me. No choir, no robes. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. It was Crossroads. It was my first experience at Crossroads. And I don't know if this was you. This might be you today. This might be you a couple years ago. But this was kind of the stance that I came into Crossroads with. Maybe you can relate to this. You know, I, in my mind, I was saying, there is something shady about this place. <laughs> something isn't right. I'm going to find it. And when I find it, I'm out the door. Because this is, this is clearly not right. This is clearly not... Brian Tome does not know Jesus. There's no way Brian Tome, you know. So so I'm so I'm in this judgmental because I was an outsider. I was an outsider at Crossroads, but then, you know, I became an insider. I got, again, relationally connected. And I began to understand the authenticity and the freedom that was part of the culture at Crossroads. And the fact that we agree on who Jesus is, we agree on the freedom he came to give us, and I became an insider at Crossroads. And one of the things that I've recognized now is that Now that I'm on staff, and now that I'm a part of this community, and this is kind of my my experience of Jesus, I'm I'm recognizing that the insider-outsider mindset creeps up again. And it's very easy for me to judge other people. How many people here are from a Catholic background? A lot of people. A lot of people. Let me tell you, you guys were outsiders to me. You were outsiders to me. I'll tell you a funny story. I went to school, like I said, in Pittsburgh, And I went to a Catholic university, Duquesne University, Catholic university. But I had not really had a lot of exposure to the Catholic church, growing up in Pentecostal and then going to Baptist. And so one day I'm going to work and people are coming out of the chapel, they just had mass, and they had this like black chalk on their foreheads. And like my first thought was, did the revolution happen and do I need to hide? Like do I need to run? What's this about? And I remember I went to work, and I I pulled my brother to the side, and I was like, Skip, this this weird thing happened. I was on my way here, and I went past the chapel, and people had like these, and it was actually in a cross shape, like chalk on their forehead. And he starts busting out laughing because, of course, it was just Ash Wednesday. It was Ash Wednesday. But in my church, my church context, Ash Wednesday was just a day on a calendar. I didn't know what Ash Wednesday really meant in my insider perspective. And so you guys, as a Catholic, were outsiders to me. But I realize now that this insider-outsider mindset is one of the reasons why the church is rendered impotent and ineffective. Because if we don't get out of this insider-outsider mindset, we will never experience the oneness that Jesus prayed for all of us to experience, and therefore the world won't know who Jesus is. See, what Jesus did is he came to start a revolution. He didn't come to start an institution. And what he recognized is if when we can come together and unite around him, it's great evidence to the world of his love for them. And so we've got to get out of this insider, outsider mindset. But how do we do that? How do we begin to move past a place where we define ourselves by either how we're different or how we think about Jesus differently? And I want to tell you that this is talked about in the Bible a whole lot. You can't avoid it. Every every couple pages in letters to the new church, as the church is being established, this theme of unity comes into play. And so as we kind of embark on this series, I want to just give you two principles that I know for me have been helpful so that I am not a person who's going against unity, but I'm actually part of answering Jesus's prayer that the church will become one. And this is actually found in the book of Ephesians. And before we show it, I want to just tell you a little bit about Ephesians. This was a letter that was written to the early church by Paul. And Paul was one of the leaders of the early church. But historically, one of the things that is thought about Ephesians is that it probably was kind of like Paul's form letter. You know, you have a form letter, it kind of applies to a lot of different situations. Well, Paul had a form letter, and it's thought that some of the words, or most of the words of Ephesians were kind of part of Paul's form letter, because he could use it to address any church. It was so broad in its scope, and very clear in its application, that it applied to any church. So I could easily say, this is the letter to Crossroads. Or I could easily say, this is the letter to the church in Cincinnati. Or this is the letter to the church in California. Or this is the letter to the American church. Or this is the letter to the church in Africa. Or this is the letter to the church in China. This is the letter to the house church. This is the letter to the underground church. These principles, and particularly this principle of unity, is broadly applied because it means so much to God. And so in Ephesians chapter 4, this is what Paul says. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity, there's that word, unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Get the sense that this oneness is key? This is key. This is key. And there are two things that I really think apply to us and would be important for us to call out as we begin to engage in this series on one as a community. And the first is this, the first thing that Paul says in this is that unity starts with us. Unity starts with, it doesn't start with them coming to my insider perspective. Unity starts with me. Unity starts with me. I love how Paul uses the word humility here. If you were here last week, we talked about the fact that pride is not something that we can cover in four weeks, that we continue to go back to this. And here it is again, here it is again, pride part five, here it is again. Paul talks about the fact that humility is key to our unity. So unity starts with us, it starts with our humility. Paul says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. What he's saying there is I am urging you, not suggesting, not maybe recommending, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you receive. The calling that we've all received, if you're in relationship with Jesus, is that. We've been called to be in relationship with Jesus. That's, that's all we have in common, you know what? That's the best thing we could have in common. And Paul is saying, if you want to live a life worthy of that common calling, here's how you do it. The first thing he says, be completely humble. Be humble. There is a such thing as spiritual pride. As a matter of fact, the whole insider-outsider mindset is about spiritual pride. When I define other people's experience of Jesus as less than mine simply because it's different, that is spiritual pride. So it's easy to have spiritual pride around traditions. It's easy for me to look at people who don't wear jeans to church and say they're caught up in something and they need to be free. But when I do that, that's spiritual pride. No different than that they look at me and say I'm in jeans and I'm being disrespectful and I'm not God, being reverent to God. They're looking at me and making a judgment and that is also spiritual pride. And so we need to be very careful of this. And so Paul talks about we need to be humble. But I love that he also says we need to be gentle. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but when people recognize that I go to crossroads and we get into conversations, I get other Christ followers who don't go to crossroads questioning some of the things we do. Maybe you've been in conversations like this. I heard you guys do this, fill in the blank, and I'm just not sure how that jives with the Bible. So why do you do this? And you know, early on, when that would happen, for me, it was like, all right, now it's time to fight. Now, Yeah, now it's time to fight. I was hoping you asked that question. Let me tell you how wrong you are and how right we are. Let me show you all the verses. I, you know, I know the Bible. Let's go. Let's go. And what I realized is that's not promoting unity. That's not promoting unity. Paul says be gentle because when people ask that question, I give them the benefit of the doubt. The benefit of the doubt is they want me to be in a place where I'm experiencing the fullness of who Jesus is. And if they think there may be something that we're doing that's not going in that direction, they want to question it. And I receive that gently. It doesn't mean that I have to agree with their point of view, but I need to be able to dialogue with them gently because at the end of the day, we're brothers and sisters, we're united. We're united and it's okay. Unity doesn't mean uniformity, so it doesn't mean we all have to do it the same way. But we need to be humble and we need to be gentle. And that starts with us. But the other thing with this whole unity starts with us is that I can't stand up here and talk to you guys about unity if I'm not connected with my wife. If I'm not in unity in my home, if you're not in unity with your family, we don't have a platform to talk about unity. And by the same token, I can't go to another church, another local small c church and talk about unity. I can't give this message at another church knowing that I've got conflict with people in my own church community. I can't do that. Unity starts with us. It starts with the relationships closest to us and it projects out from there. And if you're a Christ follower in here, whether you call yourself connected with Crossroads or not, I want you to hear this, we cannot, we cannot have a voice in the world and talk about God's love and talk about unity if we're not connected with each other. We can't, we can't. And so what Paul is saying here is we need to be about unity and it starts with us. The other thing that he says though, and I think this is the second principle around unity is, unity also puts Jesus at the center. Unity puts Jesus at the center. He goes through what really is a creed. Many of you may have heard that word creed or a credo. He's going through the core things that really matter when he goes into this this litany, you could call it, in verse four where he says there is one body, there is one spirit, we're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And he's saying all of these things are centrally united in Jesus. That's the center. So whether you experience Jesus in a context where it's relaxed and you can bring coffee in and you can wear jeans, or if you experience high church, church that has a lot of tradition, where maybe they take the Eucharist every week, at the end of the day, those differences aren't what matter. What matters is the Eucharist and our casual experience puts Jesus in the center. That's what matters. And so there's a great word that Paul uses when he says, make every effort to be about unity by the bond of peace. That phrase, make every effort, that's the application point I want to give you today. That word is spudatso in the Greek. Doesn't that sound like a strong word? Spudazzo. And it has that meaning. Spudatso means something you do with diligence and urgency. You have a sense of, I've got to do this. I've got to spudatso. I've got to be about this. And what Paul is saying is, when it comes to unity, spudatso. Spudatso. make it an effort, a priority. Be diligent. Don't let up when it comes to being about unity with other people who are Christ followers, spudazzo. And so I wanna give you just some ways that I know God has been challenging me to spudazzo. And it's really been about people and relationships outside of Crossroads. You know, again, as I think about my context, and obviously because this is the place where I also work and it's the place where I go to church, a lot of my context of what Jesus is doing and who God is, is coming in the midst of this Crossroads community, which is great. Love being a part of this community. But spudazzo, for me, means going outside of this community and being intentional about connecting with people who experience Jesus differently than I do. There's a couple spudazzo relationships in my life. One is a guy named Walt. And Walt and I got together a couple months ago, and Walt comes from a faith perspective, a a, a church perspective, his church experience, is really, really heavily focused on prayer. Such to the point that they actually have a room, and in that room, it's 24-7 prayer. That room is available for people to pray 24-7, and he's connected with a a community of people in another part of the country who are doing that. They're praying 24-7. Very different than what I do, very different than my context, But I've been connecting with Walt monthly, and one of the things I've been doing to connect is I've been going to his church. I've been going to his small seed church and experiencing prayer the way that they do it. And you know what's been happening? My prayer life has been growing. And I've been experiencing aspects of Jesus that I never experienced before. One of the things that's been happening is I've, I've started to have dreams. I've started to have very clear and specific dreams that connect to things that I really feel God wants to say to me. Because I've been spudazzo with Walt, I've been able to connect with him and he's been able to help me understand how to reflect and respond on some of those dreams. That's new territory for me. But I know that I'm gonna get a clearer picture of Jesus if I'm about unity, if I'm spudazzo and I'm out there trying to connect with Walt, trying to connect with people who experience Jesus differently, I know what that means for unity and I know that I'm gonna see a clearer picture of Jesus. Another spudazzo relationship for my wife and I is a couple um, that we have known for years, and they are Messianic Jews. And I don't know if that term connects with everybody. Basically, people identify themselves as Jewish primarily based on culture and lineage. Their family has lineage that goes back to Israel. So most Jewish people identify themselves. And within that, as you might imagine, there's a variety of different religious beliefs. Well, Messianic Jews are of the belief, as I am, that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Jewish people. So they experience all of the Jewish culture and traditions, but they also recognize who Jesus is, and they celebrate all of the traditions that would be kind of um, connected to the New Testament church as well. And so one of the things that we've been talking about but hadn't really done was this whole thing of celebrating the Passover Seder with them. They, They celebrate the Seder every year, as many Jewish people do, and this, this spring, we actually celebrated the Passover Seder with them. And the Passover is a celebration in Jewish culture of when God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And as we sat down to the elements of the Seder, which quite frankly was the meal that Jesus was having when he connected with his disciples and in the new... Testament Church, now we call that communion. So it's, it's based in the Seder, but when you sit down and you get the elements of the Seder and the lamb and understand what they're celebrating and the things that God did for them and how they think about the faithfulness of God, it totally changed my perspective on Jesus. Because to see Jesus like they do as the promise of thousands and thousands of years of a Messiah that was gonna come from a people who were oppressed, and now they find freedom in the person of Jesus, man, that really, really opens my eyes to the freedom that Jesus means for me. And so I wanna be about spudazzo, I wanna be about making every effort to keep the bond of unity and peace. And one of the ways that we can do that in this series is by thinking about our individual relationships. And going back to the fact that unity starts with us, one of the principles I'd give you is keep your relationships clean. If there are relationships you have where there's conflict and there's something that is not right, work on that. Keep your relationships clean. Spudazzo, make every effort to be about unity. And another way that we're gonna do that as a community is we wanna be teachable and humble for guest speakers who are coming in who may be experiencing Jesus very differently than we do. And one of the ways that we can do that is by continuing to recognize that Jesus is at the center. And so the band's going to lead us in a song now that is really about calling out that at the end of all of this, when Jesus prayed that we would be one, he meant united around him. And we just recognize that Jesus is the thing that unites us all. And so we're going to sing that song together and just want you to do that as a spudazzo effort for all of us.